Welcome to the Mental Endurance Podcast. I'm Vanessa Forster, and I teach you how to build mental endurance to match your physical endurance. The result? A breakthrough performance without buying that next fancy bike, training more, or even racing more. You can train your mind like you train your body. Stick around to find out how. Hey listeners, this episode was originally recorded as a live event to kick off the launch of this podcast. Enjoy. I don't know about you, but it does kind of feel like this whole COVID thing is like the world's longest endurance event. And so I think we could all use some little help to increase our mental endurance, especially as athletes. Um, So with no further ado, let's let's do it, Vanessa. Let's do it. I love it. (laughs) First of all, thank you to um, everyone who has put in where they're coming from. I love to see the locations. Um, it's so fun. San Diego, Netherlands, New Jersey, gosh, all over. So fun. Keep putting it in there. Um, before I jump in, as as Ellen said, I'm Vanessa Forster, and I am the host of the spanking new podcast called Mental Endurance. And I would like to take a second to thank the Live Feisty team for all they've done to help get this podcast off the ground. Uh, This live launch was their idea and I'm here for it because we're gonna have a lot of fun. Uh, If you're new to me and new to my work, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Um, And here's what I'm about. I am on a mission to change the way triathletes train. I believe a bit of what's missing from our training is our humanness which is why I help triathletes build mental endurance to match their physical endurance, hence the name of this podcast. There is so much out there that tells us that we have to buy the fanciest bike or upgrade the newest recovery tactics or train half of our waking hours or maybe race as many races around the circuit as possible when there is racing. And while some people find success that way, it's not the only way. And that is what I want That's what I want to bring to this podcast is showing you a different way. I used to think personally that peak performance was only reserved for the naturally gifted and the rest of us were just kind of destined for whatever results we had. Um, But now I know that that's not true because I personally trained my brain like I trained my body. And my result was a Kona qualification without an athletic upbringing or a series of podium finishes. But beyond that, I'm a more confident, bold, trusting, and unapologetic person who, and I'm unapologetic in who I am and what I stand for. And if you are a fan of the feisty brand, that is what we're all about. And that is what I'm here to show you as well. Um, because in my life, when I underperformed on the race course, I also underperformed in my life. And I, mental endurance is not something that, that is, not, is only available to the gifted and I'm so excited to have my special guest here, Brittany, who's joining. We'll get into um, some specifics with Brittany, but that's who the other person's on the screen <laughs> with me. Um, she is one of the athletes that I work with. And the reason I invited her on is because the, the beginning stages of this podcast, when I first launched on the Iron Woman series, I spent a lot of time sharing stories about myself, which I think are highly valuable. But for this event, I wanted to bring in someone else that I work with so you can see the work, what happens when you put it into practice. 
um, on a daily basis. And that's what Brittany has done. And she is such an amazing example of what's possible. And the fact that, <laughs> bless it, bless it, you are. Um, the fact that mental endurance is not the same as mental toughness. I was actually just having the same a conversation about this earlier today. And a lot of us that are driven athletes, we think that we assume that if we're able to suffer mental or suffer physically, excuse me, and that means we can handle anything emotionally. And that's just not true. It's that's the opposite. It's backwards. When we work on our emotional health and we work on our mental endurance, then it unlocks more for us in the physical bit, which I'll talk more about in just a little bit. Um, when I talk about, you know, what you do doesn't make who you are. So Brittany's here. She's joining us. We're going to talk about some topics. The idea here is to give you a different viewpoint into what I wanted to talk about. Um, I did, I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about on this like season opener of this new podcast. And I think it's, it's felt very necessary to address where we are now with the state of the world and racing and what effect that can have on our motivation. But I also wanted to talk about your athletic identity and how the two are connected. And that's really what we're going to talk about. Um, I'm going to share kind of similar to past podcast episodes of, of how I kind of give an offering, bring Brittany in, we'll coach on it, we'll talk on it, she'll talk about her experience, and it's going to be so much information for you. If you are tuning in live on Facebook or YouTube, hello, thank you for being here. You have the opportunity to ask questions. Um, just drop them in the comment box wherever you are, you know, YouTube, Facebook, whatever, whatever is there for you, and we'll get to them. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that feels like a good preface for where we're going. Um, so first and foremost, I want to talk about the athletic identity piece. I actually did do a separate episode in the original podcast called what you do versus who you are. And it's not the same, uh, what's Avenue that I want to take today. I want to talk about how triathlete triathlon might be what you do. But who you are is a human with equal amounts of doubt and stress and guilt and worry and maybe some inadequacy, but also so much pride and commitment and joy and, and courage and whatever other positive emotions come with that. And you take those emotions with you into triathlon, whether you like it or not. Part of what I do is help you use those feelings as fuel. So I don't want you to negate that human and emotional part of you. This podcast is meant to help you get more in touch with that part of you. Because on the other side are some of your best race results that are just waiting for you. Okay. Another note I wanted to say about Brittany. Okay. First of all, listen to everything she says. Okay. As I already mentioned, she's an example of what's possible for everyone turning, tuning in even more so now without races. Okay. So really, really, really important. Um, when I was preparing for this, I decided to look up the definition of what athletic identity is. So I'm going to tell you what it is. Uh, there was a study done in 1993, and it's defined as the degree to which an individual identifies with the athlete role and looks to others for acknowledgement of that role. So two parts, identifies with the athlete role and looks to others for acknowledgement. I find this very interesting because it centers on the role or another way to think about that is like some behaviors and the opinions of others. So Brittany, before I, I before I go more, I want to know what your thoughts on this are. How 
did you define, like, what are your thoughts on the definition, but also how did you define your athletic identity before we started working together, which was also after COVID started, I would like to point out. That is true. Yeah. Um, so hearing that definition, I'm like immediately thinking about so many sessions that we've already had together where um, showing up, believing that you are an athlete and that you are worthy of your training has been revolutionary for me. And I think something that can be accessible for everyone who wants to take on triathlon or marathons or long distance swimming or cycling or any sort of endurance athlete event or any athletic event, showing up, believing I am this athlete and I deserve this space and I'm, I love what I do. The mm-hmm. second part of that definition makes me in the past would have been like, yep, that, that is a hundred percent true. You definitely <laughs> need outside validation. Someone needs to tell you that you are an athlete and that's, that's how you know. And now having worked with Vanessa and really looking at how I show up, that makes me go, wait, put the brakes on. We that outside validation is not as crucial as the inward belief and that inward um, discovery within yourself that showing up is, is primary. Um, waiting for someone to tell you that it's okay to start swimming and jump in the pool and that you are an athlete mm-hmm. is, is a long wait. And while it might be immediately gratifying to have someone say, you're really fast, you're an athlete, you're a runner, um, it's not sustainable over the course of, of training. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if other people have that kind of experience, but um, it's, a, it's not an overnight thing. Obviously it's, I'm still working on it because I love outside validation. Oh, I love it. But- We're continuing to work on that exactly. one. <laughs> I've become so much more aware. And so saying, okay, what do, what do I need for within myself? and not looking for it on the outside, which also is important, not just for my athletic pursuits, but every single thing I do, it's, it's a running theme. Yeah. Cause as I say all the time, how you do anything is how you do everything. Tell me about the worthy of training. How did you decide that you were worthy of your training? Right. Uh, this idea, I think I also did not have the most athletic upbringing. Um, we were active, but certainly not like um, I was destined for, you know, the Olympics at four. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was probably like climbing a tree, but. Um, As you should when you're four. Yeah, I, <laughs> Wait, I don't know about four, maybe. Maybe not four, maybe not four, seven. Um yeah, but but saying that this time and this space that I've created for myself for my athletic training um, is is worthwhile because I'm an individual and and unique, and this is how I want to spend my time. Um, yeah, and to carve out that also something that we've worked on together is just because I. Um, feel like, oh, I, but I should be doing a million other things and helping a million other people. I'll get, I'll get to that. But being able to show up for myself and give myself that allows me to take that to every relationship, to my marriage, to my family, to be able to show up a hundred percent 
for them, just like I show up 100% for myself. Mm -hmm. And I would add to that, that, and I'm interested to know what your thoughts on when you choose to show up, you're not only just showing up for the training, but you're showing up for standing in for who you want to be. Yes. Right. Because what I've noticed is that athletes that struggle with this is that they don't know who they are, or they just haven't taken the time to decide to, to actively think about the person that they want to be. And mm-hmm. so then they attach themselves to the athlete and triathlete only, which means like they're hundred percent defined by what they do on the race course. Right. Yeah. So the behaviors that they're engaging in and the, and the race results become the, the primary source of definition. Right. right. So if it's interrupted, like it is now, there seems to be this, this void, this unavoidable void or emptiness of sorts. Yeah, there's almost a, a lack of joy in the training because you're so, you're looking and searching for those results, mm-hmm. um, that validation again, rather than, wow, it's just amazing to be able to run outside or be able to um, participate in this activity. Yeah, and create the joy for yourself. Mm-hmm. Because on yeah. the other side of it, when, when you're looking for the validation, what ends up happening is it's a very powerless position to be in because you're allowing the outside circumstances to define you and how you want to feel about yourself, but also how you want to feel just in general. And it's, that's yeah. very, very, very dangerous, my friends. And if you're doing that, nothing has gone wrong. Like we all experience this because we're humans and we experience 50% negative emotion and 50% positive emotion. And it just happens. We have to be very aware of the patterns and how we, where we attach our emotional energy to, because you can't control the world. If we could, I'd be all in. I would have figured it out by now, (laughs) but we can't, but we can't. So the next best option is deciding who you are separate, but related to who you are as an athlete, which I think the most useful way is to start by how you want to feel because feelings fuel us, right? What do you want to feel on a more daily basis? What do you want to feel at your next key session? What do you want to feel when you cross your next finish line, virtual or otherwise? Do you remember when we did this, Brittany? I do. When you decided what type of athlete you wanted to be. Yes. Yes. Do you remember what you answered? I said I wanted to be a joyful Mm -hmm. athlete, um, a grateful athlete. And um, I think this word sent us into like. (laughs) I I wasn't going to bring that one up, but you can. (laughs) Okay. I wanted to be indefatigable, which. Tell them what that means. It it just means that I I can't, I won't be tired. (laughs) I or, well, like I'll, feel, I'll feel tired, but I will persevere through. Mm-hmm. But that's like one of those SAT words that you can drop in a conversation. And I've tried since you taught me <laughs> and uh, it didn't really work very well. It didn't work. <laughs> the other thing that you told me was brave and curious. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Curiosity is a huge theme running mm-hmm. for me currently. Tell me about that. What has shifted for you? Why, why has that been useful? Yeah, it helps to reassess um, training sessions and larger goals and, and my motivation. Mm. So instead of 
looking at a training session and looking at how many watts did I put out um, and how am I, how is my worthiness attached to that? Did I, did I do what I was supposed to do? Am I going to get a pat on the back from a coach or is the coach going to be like this girl? What is she doing? Um, but instead staying curious and saying, okay, what can I do with this session? Where can I go mm. um, on uh, during this interval? Remove that self-worth part yeah. and replaced it with the discovery and the joy and the the courage and the indefatigableness <laughs> of it all. It longer, why not? I know. I'm just gonna keep adding. <laughs> um, so that coming into every training session and then evaluating from that that um ontological mode of saying okay put the curiosity lens on and what can i discover mm. i think too that helped stay motivated um when races are touch and go and there's not a lot immediately available and holding you accountable um, the curiosity aspect um, helped me get up and say, I want to, I want to find out. Yeah. I'm so curious. It gave you a little nudge. It sounds like. It did for sure. Tell me um, where, where do you, so that's kind of like where curiosity was really useful for you. Where have you found mm -hmm. like resistance to it? Where has it still been a struggle for you? I think that this could be really yeah. to maybe find some relief. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm so curious. What is that dog thinking? Um, yeah, I, I mean, so it's not an overnight, hey, now I'm curious and I don't care about results anymore and I don't get self-conscious and I don't spiral out of control with thoughts that aren't helpful. No, no, no. Happens all the time. Happen like today. But um, the resistance, I think, comes from getting distracted by by data by numbers getting distracted by thoughts of i should be doing something else or oh this person is is doing these kinds of workouts i should be doing that instead of my own training plan um the resistance of uh yeah like like finding out what are other people doing which i can mask in the curious part of it but it doesn't serve me and my training and my individual pursuit. Um, and also, uh, yeah, it can, it can take on that, that mask of like, I'm just checking what other people are up to. I can just look at Strava and see how many, how far did this person run today? Um, instead of asking it about myself and turning it back in. So kind of in that curiosity, taking you down that compare and despair. Oh yeah. Right. And I think a lot of us can relate to that and probably a lot of people tuning in, just recognizing that it doesn't mean that when you get curious, everything's just solved for you, but mm -hmm. it gives you a different connection to your training. And then it reveals something new, right? Because then we've been working on the compare and despair. And then yeah. what do we need to address as it relates to that? And how can we make it so that you are not only getting what you need out of the training, but also addressing this other side that tends to be a pattern for you as well, yes, right? For sure. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, when it comes to thinking about athletic identity and that definition that I, I found and I was really interested in, I think that there's this 
opportunity to just like ditch this idea of athletic identity. And instead I'm choosing to call it our athletic nature. Like let's all work towards our, our individual yet collective athletic nature, which I think we can think about it as the inherent qualities that you bring to your sport, right? So Brittany has chosen joy and courage and indefatigableness and being brave. (laughs) I'm not going to try that word again. Um, (laughs) So she's chosen those and we can each decide what we want that to be for us, right? You get to decide who you want to be as a person, what you want to feel, how you want to show up, the inherent nature of you, which then carries Mm -hmm. into sport. Mm -hmm. Let's see. We've had... People, oh, they're writing. We're, I'm just looking at the comments. Yes, we're my dog agrees. Here. <laughs> Sorry for the dog barking. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna get to some questions, a question in a little bit. But before we get there, um, I was thinking more about curiosity. And is there anything else that you would add about how you define your athletic nature, not identity, athletic nature now before we move on? Yeah, I think. Um, I think we've kind of nailed it. Okay. Let's, let's keep going. Yeah. So if we are bringing like full circle on the original definition of that athletic identity, I want to add something. If you remember the other piece was looking to the others for acknowledgement of the role. And when you decide on your athletic nature, those other people support and uplift you, uplift more of who you want to be versus you going outside of yourself for validation. You don't even need the acknowledgement or validation. The right people are part of your experience to feel those emotions more. Okay. So for those of you that are listening, watching live, but also listening um, after the fact, take some time to define your athletic nature for yourself. And the way I want you to think about doing this is to pick three to five ways that you want to feel. Okay, right now, as we're patiently awaiting races to come back to resume, it's the perfect time to spend time in this question. And what you'll find is that you don't need races to capitalize on your athletic nature, right? You don't need a race. You don't need a race result. You don't need a podium to make you feel a certain way. You can feel that now. And that's a much more emotionally empowering place to be. And it will also change the game on your motivation, which Brittany's already talked about. She talked about how that curiosity kind of changed um, her motivation, but we'll hold off on that in a second. I did see a question come through that I want to answer. Okay. So Christina says, how do you build trust in yourself and your training to feel less anxious about taking rest days and easier days? Oh, this is a great question. This is a really great question. Um, I'll answer. And if Brittany, you want to add something, you're more than welcome to add. So the first thing, what popped in my head when I read, I, first of all, I love this question because leading with the idea of building trust is hugely important. Brittany will tell you, and, and every, every athlete I work with, we talk about what it means to build self-trust and having your own back and decisions that you make. And I think ultimately, Christina, your question talks about feeling less anxious about taking rest days and easier days. And the first, the first answer to this question I would offer is, being willing to release some of the self-judgment because the fact that you have the anxiety about it and you're willing to ask the question is because it's rooted in a, in thinking that you're doing something wrong. Okay. So first we have to recognize that you're not doing anything wrong. 
you know, in part of our training as we progress as athletes, you have to rest in order to get stronger. You don't get stronger when you're swimming, biking, or running. You get stronger when you're sitting here, assuming that you're sitting and not on the bike right now, listening <laughs> to me talk or watching Netflix. When you're building in that rest, that's when your, your muscle fibers are rebuilding and getting stronger. So it's really important to have that difference in your training and the intensity versus the recovery. But we, I can say that and intellectually you can say, oh yeah, I get it. But then when there's this judgment spiraling about taking an easier day or taking a complete day off, that's where there's conflict. So you have to be willing to release the judgment and get curious about how, it's a great, great word that Brittany's been talking about, get curious about how your training is actually elevated by taking the days off or taking the recovery, right? What if it's exactly what you need instead of thinking the opposite, which is, oh my gosh, I'm going to miss out or I'm not going to get stronger or um, anything along those lines. Okay. Brittany, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah. I think educating yourself on kind of the science of recovery that helped me trust in taking the recovery time, knowing that your fitness consolidates on that, that time off and then showing up to your tough training sessions with really focused, really intentional, really efficient, um, mental set, um, to do that workout will make you really trust in, in your ability to show up for every, everything on your plan, be it recovery day or, or hard workout day. Um, and I think, I think Vanessa and you and I have talked about that, like, once you've made a decision to trust it is, is something that we build. Yeah. And it's almost like a permission slip for yourself yeah. in the beginning. Like, let me just give myself the permission, see what happens. And then, uh, the, the trust builds upon itself. Right. Yeah. Um, I love that. I love that question. Okay. Let's dive into motivation because yeah. you kind of, went kind of down that route in terms of the curiosity piece. And some people that are listening might be feeling uninspired to train right now, or you might go through a roller coaster. If you're a human, <laughs> you might go through a roller coaster of some weeks you're kind of in high motivation. Other weeks you're kind of dropping low. Same deal. Like the reason I wanted to ask, answer this question is because the same is true here. First and foremost, we have to drop the self-judgment and the shoulds. If you work with me, you hear me say this all the time. Stop shooting on yourself. It doesn't <laughs> get you anywhere. Curiosity is your biggest ally here because you don't have to train more to feel better. If you want to change your relationship with your training, i.e. be more motivated to train, if you want to change your relationship with training, you have to change your thoughts about it. Okay. So that's where I want to start when we diving into motivation because your relationship with anything and anyone really. So that means your relationship with your training, with food, with your work, with your spouse or your partner, your in-laws, all of those relationships are just a collection of thoughts that you have about that thing or person. So if your primary thought about your training is something like, oh, I don't want to do this, then that's dictating the exact experience that you're going to have. So a colleague of mine shared this analogy with me earlier today, and I think it is perfect for this. If you take a video with your iPhone and you go back and watch it, you know, that little stream at the bottom that shows you like all the frames, you can kind of pause it frame for frame there at the bottom. You essentially get to like stretch out the whole video. 
I want you to think about you can do the same thing with your thinking. So stay with me here. When you think, oh, I don't want to do this. And I know that thought because I have it too. That usually follows something like this is going to be hard or I'm not going to enjoy this, right? You start by making a somewhat arbitrary determination of the effort and the enjoyment. And then you just write yourself off before you even start. But you can pause before following that trail that your brain leads you on because you know where that trail leads. If you really want to go there, you can all, you always can because you know what happens when you think, oh, I just don't want to do this. You end up not doing it. And then you sit on the couch and eat bonbons. Like we know where that trail goes. Or maybe you sit on a log because we're out on trail. <laughs> but it's, it's not the only option is the point. Like you know where that series of thinking goes, but it's not the only option. You can pause Imagine that you're at a fork in a trail, actually. And to the left, you know where that trail goes. But to the right, you get to ask, am I making this harder by thinking this is harder? Am I making this harder by thinking this is harder? I'm making it harder by thinking harder on myself than it needs to be. And if you're feeling any resistance to that question, as I kind of repeated it, it's because you aren't truly committed to being motivated. So no judgment there, but you have to be willing to be to you have to be willing to be committed. You have to be willing to change how you're thinking about it in order to get different results for your choices. So being motivated, I want you to think about it like a choice that you make to change your relationship with your training, to be more curious in what you can get out of your training. Not because it needs to be like the highest intensity, go, 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 like, you know, on peak Ironman training for the rest of the year, right? Like there's different levels of training and different seasons of the training, but it's still a choice that you make in the relationship you have with your training. And to change the way you think about your training, right? For me, that has looked like recently, it's looked like finding small progress each week. And sometimes that progress is simply getting outside in the snow or in the cold weather for more training sessions. Cause I'm here in Bozeman, Montana and I live in the tundra. <laughs> so, and Brittany's in LA, so different, but cold there. <laughs> we had snow. I know. On I know the beach. You match. You match with my snow. So, um, one more thing I want to say about motivation before I ask Brittany to come in on this. The, if you saw today, the feisty triathlon made this cool little qu quote card um, from a quote that I had on a different podcast where I said, enduring mentally means holding on to the belief that a different outcome is possible. And you might read that and think bigger picture. You might think like a different outcome being a big goal that you want to achieve on the race course. But that also applies to a different outcome tomorrow or next week, right? Whenever you decide to make a different decision in support of who you want to be, which includes your athletic nature, right? Brittany, what are your thoughts? What's your take on motivation? How do you stay motivated? Yeah, I, um, I have been thinking about this a lot recently um, because there aren't a lot of races. And I think what, what really helps to motivate me out, in addition to being curious, and I think um, kind of orthogonally related is um, really developing a mastery of the things I'm passionate about. Mm. So um, 
outside of sport, I am a professional puppeteer. So cool, everyone, right? <laughs> it's so true. Cool. We exist. Um, so I... From Jurassic Park. Yeah, I before the COVID um, kind of shut down, I was on a national touring show called Jurassic World Live Tour. And I was the puppet captain on the show and um, one of the lead puppeteers on the show. But I've been doing puppetry for a long time. And um, so what was great about this show is I was, we were, we were doing hundreds of shows uh, and then tour, like do shows in one city and then the next city and the next city. So we're doing hundreds of shows. If anyone saw it, awesome. Tell me in the comments because I'm really curious about that. But um, yeah, every single show was a chance because I got to do lots of different styles of puppetry. I got to be in this 140 pound um, baby stegosaurus. I got to be in a 120 pound raptor. I got to work the How many people get to say that? I mean, come on. That's so cool. Yeah, there's like six of us. <laughs> but um uh, yeah, I got to work the the T-Rex, which was really cool and and learn about the mechanics of that and um, remote operations. And every single show was a chance to get it just a little bit better, just make it a little bit more believable um, because that is what puppetry is. It's like this inanimate object and you have to collaborate with the, everyone watching saying like, you and I both know this is not real but we're going to we're going to pretend together so i have to make it look like t-rex mm -hmm. even though she is made of foam and wires that she is breathing and she is intentionally walking towards the heroes and and avoiding fire because we had fire in the show too right Amazing. so so that idea of like that's something so we, you're doing hundreds of shows it's the same mm -hmm. show every single time same thing same thing same thing but it's that those subtle tiny things that would keep me motivated yeah. to show up to do the show incremental better very very because um, I had to still do the same choreography but how could I make it how could I bring some more intention to what I was doing so in a similar vein coming to triathlon which I I still trained as a triathlete while on tour which was an adventure onto itself. I've swam in so many different YMCAs <laughs> all over the country. I got to tell you, there's some amazing YMCAs out there. Indianapolis, the Indianapolis okay. has a great one. If nice. anyone's from Indianapolis, hot's off to you. Anyway, um, so I, I was still motivated to train as a, as a triathlete, which also kept me fit for the show. Mm -hmm. um, but then coming home from COVID being like, well, now I don't have a show or races the motivation I would found is how can I master the, a, a running skill, a cycling mm -hmm. skill. And I was working on it, but I think there was a breakthrough session that Vanessa and I, we had, and I applied the work that we had talked about to an indoor cycling session that I knew I could, I could do, but the intention and effort I brought to that I think I, I think I finished and I was crying and I think I sent Vanessa, I sent you like a video of me just like ugly crying about how. I didn't know you were crying in that video. Well, I was sweating. <laughs> sweating, sweat crying. Sweat crying. Um, I cleaned sweat. up. 
but uh, that like idea of the intentional training, just like T-Rex being intentional, but mm. coming into each interval. And what I discovered is I had it all along. I've always been able to, I'd, I'd always been able to manipulate T-Rex or do this puppet thing. And I was, I've always been able to achieve more power on the bike. I just didn't let myself believe it and, and go there intentionally. Mm -hmm. um, so the idea of like, let's get curious and let's master this, this one interval and see what happens motivated the next interval, mm. which then motivated my next workout, which then motivated me to stay engaged as a triathlete and, and racing. Um, also over the summer, I would set little goals for myself using Strava and using, I found this amazing group of ocean swimmers that I just, they, they like are my heart and my family, mm -hmm. but I designed my own triathlon. Uh, I called it the choose your own triathlon and, and anyone could do anything. So I had people show up um, and we did it very safe masks and distance. And we all were already kind of our own germ pod, but I had people show up who did like inline skating instead of running um, people who were like curious about triathlon, but they're like, I'm going to mm -hmm. swim and I'm going to run. So designing little moments for myself of, self-mastery, but also integrating the people that I see around me who also love sport yeah. um, and how they could develop their own mastery, I think was um, those moments of, of reigniting the motivation yeah. of fire. And it also sounds like, um, you know, it started with you deciding not to like pull back entirely, right? And finding the opportunities to create that joy for you and those, those emotions that you had decided on, right? That was yeah. your joy with those friends, with that training group, or even designing your own triathlon, even if you did it by yourself, right? And the right. same is true when it comes to the skills that you chose to work on, right? It's like these small incremental betterments that we can make within ourselves that can really change how we show up when, when races are back on and when yeah. we might find it easier to find motivation. I put that in air quotes because we often associate having a, a race on the schedule as something that we can work towards and might, might create some external motivation for us. So I think that I love the fact that you just brought up that, that your opportunity to not only find the joy in it, but take your motivation and build momentum from it. Right. Mm -hmm. Because there's like mm -hmm. this, this causal relationship when it comes to motivation and momentum. And then you create a cycle, even if it's, even if it's small pieces of motivation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's also the idea of like, I'm ready for anything. Like when races come back, I want to be ready. When, when the show comes back and we can fill arenas with 2000 people, it's going to be a while. <laughs> it's going to be a while. Um, I want to be ready. I, I so want to be there. Mm -hmm. um, and I also, Full disclosure, when we got sent home from tour, I like took two weeks off and didn't, I was like, I'm going to curl up and I just need to like decompress. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't motivated because I was like, uh, it kind of felt like a breakup, mm. <laughs> you know, like, and like that questioning, those like yeah. question air bubbles around the head. Like what's happening? Where do we go from here? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I also think that it's, 
I had to relieve myself of that judgment of like, mm-hmm. how could you possibly give up on yourself? And it was like, okay, it was two weeks where you just needed to like not yeah. do anything. Um, it's totally okay. And then to become curious, like, okay, why did I need that time? Oh, because I was feeling really heartbroken about losing these other opportunities. Yeah, it's like real grief. Yeah. The experience, yeah. real grief. Yeah. One of the one of the podcast listeners actually asked me a question about um, canceled events and that piece, and it's it's very much a grief a grief experience. Right. So Valerie says in the comments, "Well, we do the race for the bling, which <laughs> may be true, Valerie, but you can't get bling right now. So <laughs> what else are you going to do it for? Because really, when I talk about feelings being fuel, the bling is fun. It's great so to have, like have you know your your." trophies or your medals hanging. But really the reason that we do or don't do anything in our lives is based on how we want to feel. Mm. So it's what the bling brings for you. So Valerie, I'd love for you to answer like when you get that medal around your neck, how do you feel? How do you feel? Accomplished, Mm. proud, confident, whatever it is, that's what you're really going for. The bling is just like the fun little side effect. And so one of whatever emotion you decide on, that's that can be part of your athletic nature that we started talking about in the beginning. So I feel like you that. would Maria Kondo that, like you would hold your bling and be like, mm. thank you. Thank you, bling. You bring, you. <laughs> does this bring joy? Yes. Does this bring confidence? Does this bring accomplishment? Does this bring, let's just go through the. Through the <laughs> <laughs> um, I just got a pop up with, from Marissa McKees about her question. Any tips on imposter syndrome? Mm. Yes, I saw that one and I'm going to pause on that question because I'm yeah. going to do an entire podcast episode on imposter syndrome. So that is coming. It is already in the works, Marissa. Don't you worry. That's a whole nother episode on its own. So thank You're you for- with the club, the imposter syndrome yes. club. Yes. Oh, Valerie says she wants to feel strong. Good. Also had, that was one of yours in the beginning too. Oh, yeah. Brittany, I didn't bring it up. I love feeling strong. So you get to go after that feeling of strong right now. Like you can feel strong mm-hmm. in your training sessions in, in so many different ways that don't even attach to the bling. But then when you get to the, when you get to the races and you get the bling, it becomes the cherry on top. So I actually, I think I want to share um, more about that question that I got from another listener, because I think it could be relevant and it ties into what we're talking about. So I got this message over Instagram and she, I'm going to summarize it for everyone, but she basically asked, she would love my take on coming back from canceled events. So she, I think she had two races canceled last year and another one this year already. And she had used my five steps to set bold goals you actually achieve before to set a goal for the race. And then it was canceled and it left her feeling, I think she said like empty and um, like deflated. I think those are the questions that she said. She was feeling deflated and not being able to follow through on completing the event and then struggling to build back up mentally for another goal, for the next the next phase of it whenever races do come back. And I might do an episode, another episode on this um, in itself, but I wanted to bring it in because I think it ties together all that we've talked about. You know, what she was doing without realizing it was putting her athletic identity into the race and her emotional energy into whether she could follow through on it or not. And she was focusing only on what went wrong and not what went right. And I think in this year, you know, when we move, 
back, like out of the judgment, sometimes we can find ourselves back into this, like everything that's going wrong. And what I did was I challenged her to write out three celebrations, three things that went right, that three things she wants to celebrate related to the races. And what came out, it was such a beautiful thing, was that what she wanted to gain from the races, she actually got out of her training. Of course, because it's not about the race. It's about who we become. It's about who we take into it and who we become on the other side, right? Who you become and not what you do. So um, this might, like I said, it might be relevant to other people listening. And I wanted to share that because we all have dealt, I'm sure everyone listening has dealt with at least one canceled race in the last year or so. So if you're finding that, I encourage you to spend a little bit of time on celebrating what did go right, even if even if what went right is that you set the goal in the first place. That's fantastic. Um, let's see. I want to go back to questions. Is it Kesha? I hope I'm saying that right. Keisha, I get the most of, I get to do most of my rides and swims with my husband by my side and we find mm. great ways to keep it fun. I think this was answering the, how do you find joy in training, which is so good. Yeah. Um, Maria, for me, it's a sense of accomplishment and the desire to ride with people stronger than me. Staying with the group is fun. Yeah. Those small little, you know, for everyone, it's going to be different how you get to define it. And, but it starts with taking that opportunity to define it. Okay. Um, the last thing I wanted to touch on, we've kind of breezed like through it. You've brought it up in a couple of different ways, Brittany, but if there's anything else, I want to talk about applying the tools, right? You right. sprinkled it in. <laughs> um, but I, I already said it two or three times. You're an example of what's possible. Thanks. And I want to know at least like one or two more changes that you've noticed in your training in the last three months and how you see that kind of elevating the rest of the year races or no races. Yeah. Um, one, the first thing that jumps in, well, there's a couple, but the one of the first things jumps into my mind is being willing to do things differently than I've been doing since I've really been focused on, on racing and training. Um, so I, I am very much a morning person. I love getting up early and getting things done. Okay. And I was finding that in order to get up early and do, let's say, a really tough run, I wasn't able to fuel effectively. So I would switch that to later on um, in the afternoon. And I do right now also have the luxury of that time. And in the past, I didn't always have that luxury. Like mm -hmm. while on tour, I had a very certain amount of time that I had off and time I had to be at the arena. So with, with that caveat in mind and knowing that everyone has different demands on their schedule um, versus like whether it's job or family obligations, like once you puzzle that into your right. schedule, but to be able to say, okay, I'm going to do something that feels a little bit uncomfortable working out or running at a different time of day to see what happens mm -hmm. um, has immediately changed how I can view training that I don't okay, I have to do this run this way, which I think also affects or has been illuminated in COVID. You know, like, oh, I, I have to swim in a pool three times a week. Well, that wasn't an option for many months and still really not an option in, in Southern California that is always feasible because it just isn't. And um, we found finding ways around it that aren't necessarily as 
comfortable as showing up in a swim bag three times a week, Mm -hmm. always the same pool. Mm -hmm. Um, So being able to shift that and knowing that it's okay to do things that make you uncomfortable in order to create change. Because if we stay with the same exact routine and same exact thing and same exact mental Mm -hmm. um, uh, plan and thought and patterns that it, it's not going to get you the kind of change and the kind of result. And I know that Vanessa, you and I have talked about that um, and coming away with that light bulb um, in the past three months has been really, really great too. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's a good one to, to bring up because it seems it kind of ties into things like, keeping us, um, what's the word I want to say, kind of like in a box of, like, I consider myself a morning person. Like I need to get my sessions in, in the morning, right? right. That's when I'm, that's when I'm at my best. Yeah. But sometimes we don't give ourselves the opportunity to try the thing that feels more uncomfortable as you're saying, right? Yeah. And when we're willing to tap into that discomfort, when it's even just the time of day or eating something different, then it puts us into a higher level of problem solving and curiosity that always, always, always impacts how we race. Like it gives us more of an open mind to see things differently on the race course. Yeah. Which is what we're doing. Like we're here to progress and get stronger and get faster and get fitter. And that's the way that we use our minds is that we are willing to think differently to get different results. And we practice that by even just doing our training session at a different time of day. Um, and I think that's a great example or taking us out of our routines and being willing to problem solve and figure it out and not just throw up our hands. Like, Oh, it didn't work. Right. Like, yeah. Oh, it snowed. I can't run. I'm just going to call it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and the, our willingness to put in the work to figure out a way will ultimately be a, a huge teller to the commitment that we have to our goals. Yeah. Uh, when we're, when we're back on the race course, but even the goals that we have inside of our training. Yeah. Yep. So good. So good. I did apply a lot of that, the being, being uncomfortable aspect as well to my outside, outside of sport. So because I'm home from with COVID and I'm, I'm a puppeteer and I'm like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, being able to say, I'm, I can't do the same puppet things that I've always been able to do and rely on the same types of jobs. So to um, kind of look outside of that comfort zone and start doing things that um, I had been afraid and then avoiding doing uh, and now have applied this the same work to my my puppet career. So hopefully I'll have my my puppet website and my puppet reel up and um, something that I've been wanting to do. Yes. Um, it's been a goal, but I've like pushed it aside so that um, because it was uncomfortable because it was, mm-hmm. it was a scary task to undertake. And then, um, asking for help on it, it was scary to ask for help because it was admitting mm-hmm. that I needed help and that I wanted something for myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you were willing to think about it differently to, yes. or at least be willing to be with the discomfort to move you forward. Yeah. And it wasn't as bad as I thought it, <laughs> it never is because our brains are really amazing mm-hmm. and making the worst mm-hmm. case scenario like 
catastrophizing it. It's not yep. that it's not ever as bad as we think it's going to be. Also, Brittany's an author, so her book is going to be coming out at some point. I don't know. I'll probably talk about it this year, okay. next year, but I've read part of it. It's fantastic. So know that that's coming. <laughs> okay. And it has um, nothing. This book has nothing to do with triathlon no. or dinosaurs. No. So <laughs> she's multifaceted. <laughs> All right. Indefatigable. If there are any other questions, feel free to drop them in the comment box. And if you did not already subscribe to the podcast to have the chance to win, you want to do that like ASAP because Ellen's going to be hopping on. Ellen and Jamila are going to be hopping back on <clears throat> to choose a winner here very soon. Um, but that is what we wanted to cover today on yeah. Athletic identity, but now called athletic nature, right? Motivation and um, how to apply these tools in very in many different ways. Um, and if you didn't get your question answered here, you can send me an Instagram message. You can email me. Um, you can you can find me. I'm I'm on socials. I'm happy to take questions. I'm also happy to take other podcast suggestions. Like I mentioned, imposter syndrome will be coming up in a future episode. This podcast is a production of Live Feisty Media. And if you enjoy it, make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave a review. When you like and subscribe, it helps more people find it. And if you want even more juicy, actionable tips to help you train your mind weekly, you better get on my email list. When you sign up, you'll get my 10 triathlon truths your conventional tri coach hasn't told you. So grab your copy and I'll drop other useful tips in your inbox weekly. Link is in the show notes.